Welcome to You Can't Make This Up, a companion podcast from Netflix. I'm Ray Vada, and I am hosting this week's episode. Here on You Can't Make This Up, we go behind the scenes of Netflix original true crime stories with special guests. This month, we're revisiting the iconic documentary, The Staircase. After airing in France in 2004, the original documentary series had not one, but two follow-ups. And last year, together for the first time, Netflix released all 13 episodes. The Staircase follows the trials of Michael Peterson, a novelist in Durham, North Carolina, who's accused of murdering his wife, Kathleen. And French director Jean-Xavier de Lestrade has been there every step of the way, filming Michael Peterson, his family, and his defense team for over 15 years. We wanted to revisit The Staircase one year later and talk to the director about what the documentary has meant to him over the years and what he thinks about the growing trend of true crime that he helped pioneer. We brought in self-proclaimed Staircase megafan and host of the long-form podcast, Aaron Lammer, to interview Jean-Xavier. So the first movie of yours that was distributed in America is uh, Murder on a Sunday Morning. But I, I know from your Wikipedia page that you had done stuff before then. How did the Michael Peterson story first come to you? How did you become aware of it? Well, that's <laughs> that's a long, a long story, but I try to tell you um, in a short way. Murder on a Sunday Morning, in part produced by HBO, and HBO was very happy with Murder on a Sunday Morning. And they really wanted to uh, to do another movie. At the beginning, I, I said no, because it's so difficult to find a very good story. And uh, because when we start, you never know what will happen. And uh, we, in a way, we were a little bit lucky with Murder on a Sunday Morning. And uh, uh, <laughs> when you have to convoke the luck twice, it's becoming difficult. They put a pressure and say, okay, we really want another another movie and try at least to find a, a story. So uh, we had a, a team, a kind of crew all around the States. What I said to them was very simple because Modernist in the Morning was the case about a, a, a uh, a young American-African uh, teenager uh, uh, who have been accused of having killed a woman. I wanted to, to find a case who, who would be the opposite of Murder on a Sunday Morning. So I, I told the, the people that I, I wanted a case about a white guy, uh, wealthy, known as his own community, uh, a, a man who was able to, uh, to pay private defense lawyer. That was mainly the the starting point. And it took, maybe we reviewed, we have reviewed uh, at least 400 different cases. And uh, suddenly, in January 2002, a journalist from uh, North Carolina sent us a mail in in Paris, and uh, the mail was, was very simple, Two lines. <laughs> uh, I have a case. A novelist, Michael Peterson, is accused of having killed his wife. He's well known, and uh, his uh, lawyer is David Rudolph, who is a very good lawyer. He's saying it's an accident. And uh, so, well, interesting. 
<laughs> we took a flight and uh, we went to meet David Rudolph first. And the day after David Rudolph, we met with Michael Peterson. First of all, David Rudolph seems to be a very good character, very good lawyer, smart and uh, very open. And uh, that was a good start. So the day after, we, we met with, with Michael Peterson and Michael Peterson appeared to be also a very good character. No so charming than David Rudolph, but you could immediately feel that there was like a mystery around this guy, something you couldn't catch immediately. That was a strong intuition. I had that there was like ghost in the room uh, when you were <laughs> with him. And um, at some point, you have to trust your, your intuition or your, your deep feeling. And uh, so uh, I said, okay, okay, we, we are going to start to shoot. So we start shooting and I thought that in six months that the shooting of the documentary would have been finished, but uh, we stay uh, 22 months. <laughs> you seem to gravitate towards lawyers as the subject of your movie. I mean, you could even say that The Staircase is equally about David Rudolph as it is about Michael Peterson. What fascinates you about lawyers, and why are they good subjects for films? Well, in fact, I have a law degree. I study law during four years in uh, in college, and uh, and that was only after uh, having that law degree that I did journalism studies. But I have always been very focused or interested in in justice system because uh, I think the maybe the justice system is one of the best way to to look into a democracy how that democracy is working or not working so i try to do it in france but in france it's very very difficult to <laughs> to shoot inside a courtroom to follow lawyers and so uh, i went to the to the states you can say that uh, United States are the biggest democracy in the world. And uh, just to, um, um, how can I say that, um, to challenge that title in a way, <laughs> I, I wanted to, uh, to look at it through the justice system, how it works and uh, is it uh, fair or not? What were your impressions when you first set foot in an American courtroom? What were the biggest surprises for you as you started to um, spend time around the American justice system? Um, the biggest surprise and that the biggest difference between a courtroom in Europe or especially in France or Italy or Spain than in a courtroom in, in, in the U.S. In France, you, you, you get the sense that in a courtroom, the judge is there to, um, to try to find the truth in a way. And it's not, of course, always easy. When you, you go uh, in, a, in a U.S. courtroom, you immediately get the sense that it's not really about truth. Uh, it's more about a story against another story. Uh, 
It's more about storytelling, in fact. And that's why it's so great for filmmakers, because uh, in one hand, you have the, the, the GA story, and especially in, in Michael Peterson's case, the DA was saying, okay, it's a murder, and uh, the, the defense lawyer, David Rudolph, were saying, no, uh, it's an accident, a uh, uh, fall down the stairs. Maybe the, um, the more compelling story or the more, more believable story by the jury uh, will win. And, uh, and, but at the end, we don't know if it's a true truth or not. And it's, 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 uh, it's controversial uh, system. For you personally, uh, what made you make the switch from a law path to a journalism and then a documentary path? When I was a child, I was dreaming that one day I will uh, tell stories with a camera. But because um, my parents didn't really understand <laughs> that, <laughs> that desire that um, I... I studied first law, but I, I always kept in mind uh, that I wanted to do uh, cinema, I wanted to do documentaries, I wanted to write dramas, and that was really uh, my main desire, my deepest desire. Did you have um, filmmakers whose work you were like, this is the kind of stuff I want to do? Because at the time, like this kind of long form documentary series, there weren't a ton of them out there. Someone camping out in a courtroom for years filming. W what were your insp inspirations as you um, launched a documentary career? Well, uh, in France, we, we have a, a very, very talented uh, documentary filmmaker. His name is Raymond Depardon, and um, uh, it's Cinema Verité. At some point, he tried to put his camera inside the courtroom. He did uh, one or two uh, films about uh, the, the, the system, the justice system in France, and that was very inspiring. And um, in the U.S., you, you have uh, Wiseman, and uh, I have watched all Wiseman movies, and that was also very, very inspiring. So at the front end of these 22 months, you're in uh, Durham, North Carolina, very specific region of America. What did people make of a uh, Frenchman with a camera crew um, pushing its way into the courtroom each morning, interviewing people in the community? How did people receive you? That was uh, very interesting because uh, in 2002, 2003, that was, the, that was the, the beginning of the Iraqi war. And if you remember at the time, the fries, when you... you, you you were going to a restaurant that was always French fries. The Free, freedom fries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it became freedom fries because the French people were not uh, the, <laughs> were not with, uh, with the, the Bush uh, administration going to war against Iraq. And, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> people were quite open, but they were looking at us in, uh, also in a way. Mm, not so friendly, but mainly it was a surprise. Why 
are you staying there? Why? Uh, you have no life, <laughs> and uh, but the the judge have been very uh, very open to us and and uh, and very nice uh, because he allowed us really to to shoot exactly like I I, I had in mind where I, I wanted to put the free cameras uh, I wanted inside the courtroom. He allowed us to, uh, to do that. And, uh, and uh, that was really a key factor in the, the way we, we shoot the trial. And that, that, uh, that was very important. This story has multiple giant twists in it. I think probably the biggest one for me was the the revelation of uh, this other woman who had died after falling down the stairs. I wonder if you could tell me emotionally for you when this project that, as you said, was supposed to be six months long, when a giant, giant twist comes in like that, that it's going to totally change the trial and the story you're telling. How did that feel for you as the filmmaker? Are you excited? Are you dreading how much longer you're going to have to film? Both, exactly. <laughs> we, when we start shooting, obviously, we had no clue about what will happen and especially about the death of Elizabeth Radcliffe in Germany 17 years ago. Uh, we didn't know. In fact, uh, we, um, we learned about that uh, with the prosecution. Because at the beginning, my, my goal was to, um, to shoot. I, I didn't really want to do a, a, a documentary film about, only about a, a defense system or uh, the defense lawyers. I really wanted to, uh, to look at the case, the way the justice system will treat Michael Peterson, and so try to shoot with the, the defense attorney crew uh, uh, with uh, Freda Black and and uh, uh, which is who is a very good character <laughs> once again these things are so filthy we can't even show them on TV filth pure tea filth this isn't people involved in a relationship this is just any which way this is called hardcore with uh, uh, Jim Hardin, the, the DA, and uh, at, at the beginning, they allowed us to shoot and to work uh, with them. Uh, and uh, at some point, because they really wanted us to, um, to know, to believe that Michael Peterson was guilty, they, uh, they said to us, but you don't know about the death of Elizabeth Radcliffe. I said, but uh, Elizabeth Radcliffe, uh, who, who is that the mom of uh, Martha and Margaret? Yes, the mom of Martha and Margaret. Do you, do you know how she died? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but I'm sure you are going to tell me and it will be interesting. And uh, that's the way we, we learn. Obviously, they change all the perspective of the documentary. I knew at that point that I couldn't tell the story in, in two hours. Uh, I knew that we, we had to, uh, 
create a new format or to invent a new format, uh, but n- not only a two-hour documentary. What has it been like in the uh, years since the original uh, episodes came out, seeing, particularly in the last few years, this boom in true crime storytelling, which often takes the format that uh, you pioneered with the staircase of the sort of multiple episode. Mm -hmm. There's something that you don't know at the beginning that's really going to change your uh, views midway. Well, um, to tell you the truth, when we came back to HBO at the end of the shooting and uh, and we told them, uh, I... We can't do a two-hour documentary. It has to be an eight-hour documentary film. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at the time, Sheila Nevins was the head of documentary uh, in, in HBO, and wow, she said, no way, no way, it's impossible. No, you have to tell the story in two hours. I'm sure you can do it. And and uh, and I told her, yes, of course, you always can cut, but you can't imagine what we have shot, and uh, we need to do it in eight hours. That's the right format. And and uh, and HBO said no, 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 no way. And so we we um, we have to withdraw with from HBO to find other support, and uh, and uh, that was a very. Uh, risky uh, path to say no to HBO. <laughs> and, well, there weren't a lot of alternatives at the time either, I would exactly. think. Like there, were, there weren't the 19 no, different streaming exactly. services that exactly, you could go to. Exactly. And that was quite difficult. And, and um, we put our, our own uh, little uh, production in, in, uh, in risk. But I, I knew, I, I was totally convinced that there was only one way to tell that story, and uh, and we will uh, we will convince many broadcasters all around the world to buy the eight hours documentary uh, and and to to run it in 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 that format, and uh, and thanks I don't know who but thanks <laughs> we succeed today it's more easier to find a place where to to sell this kind of long-term documentary series. Uh, I'm quite happy to be able to uh, to watch uh, Making a Murderer, to watch uh, The Jinx, to watch uh, uh, The Keepers. Uh, of course, the huge difference, because it's very difficult to do um, a good series a, do, a good documentary series because, as I said, wh- when you start filming, you don't know what will happen and uh, you never can be really sure that you will get all the material to do a six hours, eight hours or ten hours uh, documentary series. Uh, and if you, uh, uh, if you take uh, Making a Murderer, uh, in fact, the, the, the two filmmakers... They start shooting, shooting, shooting during months, months, and years uh, before going to Netflix uh, 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 and saying, well, I think we had a very good show. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And um, I know to shape a a documentary series 
like a drama. That's, I think, it's it's good. It's very exciting. And uh, when we start, well, when we cut Starcase, uh, it it was really uh, really exciting to do it as a drama. Uh, but we really had the material to do it and to stay really in the rules of a documentary film uh, that, uh, of course, you are not staging anything. You are shooting what is in front of your camera. And that's very important. You always have to keep that in mind. It's cinema verite. And uh, the beauty of the documentary, it's because you you are capturing the life. That sort of isolation and, and not wanting to affect the film uh, that's happening uh, in front of you must have gotten more difficult as you became more and more intimate with uh, David Rudolph and Michael Peterson. I mean, these are people that you've now known for uh, mm. going on uh, 15, 20 years now. Um, how did making films, particularly as you came back to the film now, now that these people are a big part of your life, a big part of your career, would there additional challenges and feeling like, oh, I'm not staging this or I'm not influencing it simply by being here? Yes, very good question. Because the main question about documentary is the point of view and uh, and the distance you keep between you, filmmaker, and the subject. And uh, you have always uh, to keep the right distance. And uh, in the end, during the last five years of shooting, uh, I have to say, with Michael Peterson, with David Rudolph, it has been more and more difficult to keep the right distance. Because, of course, as you said, uh, we, in a way, we were friends and um, it, it was really difficult to tell them, okay, <laughs> you are seeing me as a friend, but I have also a film to do. And if I really want to shoot and to do a good film, I have to keep uh, the right distance. And uh, I can't be your friend. Or... I may be your friend, but I have always to keep in mind that when I'm doing an interview of Michael Peterson, that that guy who is in front of me may have killed his wife. Uh, and I don't know that, but I have always to keep that in, in my mind uh, until the end, because uh, um, that distance, as I said, is, is really, really, really important. And uh, to stay at the right distance during 15 years, it's, it has been quite difficult. Did the, the fact that the case had become famous uh, make it different when you returned to film in these in the courtroom during Peterson's Alford plea? Like I was, I'm an American, and I was unaware of this case when it was happening the first time, different part of the country never had heard of Michael Peterson's book. Um, now, because of the success of the original Staircase, this is a big case that people are interested in. Uh, the media is interested in it. Um, it's a big deal, it seems like, for the local prosecutors in Durham. Like, 
this is their famous case. How did that change your filmmaking as you returned to the story? Well, uh, of course. And uh, when we came back in December 2011, uh, we were surprised because, in a way, now we were part uh, of the story. We were not just watching the story, filming the story, but we were in the story, too. That's why also Candance, uh, Kathleen's sister, uh, when at the, uh, at the last hearing, where when she uh, she she uh, she spoke about about the film, about the documentary film, about us, about the the way we supposedly have treated her, uh, and uh, of course, I uh, I kept that testimony in the film because that was important. The next confrontation came from a French film company that wanted to make a pseudo-documentary about my sister's murder without my family's cooperation or consent. Michael Peterson would have a movie made that he could pontificate. He could tell everyone, all of you, how incompetent the Durham police and justice system was. He could proclaim in this film again his complete innocence. How do you feel when, I'm assuming this happens, people approach you and want to discuss whether Michael Peterson is guilty or not, or want to discuss um, some mm. of the theories that are popular on the internet. I think the owl theory mm-hmm. has probably been the most viral. What's it like for you, not with a camera running, but just in your day-to-day life when people have seen The Staircase and want to talk about the guilt or uh, innocence of its, its main character with the person who spent many years with him? Uh maybe uh, i have heard the the question what do you think <laughs> what do you <laughs> really believe what is your uh, deep conviction about the case about michael peterson i've heard that question maybe uh 500 times <laughs> because <laughs> no because of course and i can understand uh, you sp- I spent 15 years, and m- more than 15 years, with, in a way, with Michael Peterson. Not, of course, every day, but <laughs> in, in my mind, I spent uh, 15 years with him. And uh, during the maybe the first eight years of the case, I, I don't remember a day where I didn't ask myself that question. Why do I know? Why do... I feel, why do I believe? And I, I became really obsessed by what happened that night. What happened to Kathleen Peterson? It's, it's really a mystery, but I really want to understand. I really want to know. And, and I'm sure I will know what happened. But at the end, no, I don't know. And I have to live with that. And, uh, and that's also the beauty of life, that sometimes there are still mysteries and uh, you don't know. So uh, I'm not sure that I know more today than I knew the first day I met him. Uh, of course, 
I will feel more comfortable uh, if he is innocent because uh, we, we spent so many hours, so many days, so many weeks together uh, and I never really got the feeling that he could have killed Kathleen because if it's a murder, it's really a barbaric murder. It's not just you push someone in the stairs. No, you beat someone until the the death. But again, I was not there that night, and it's really difficult to know someone uh, very well. well. I think it's important for me to make the jury understand that this is not about whether we've proven Michael is innocent. Uh, it's not even about whether Michael is innocent. Uh, you know, in, in uh, Scotland, uh, they have a verdict that's either guilty or not proven. Uh, and here we say guilty or not guilty. Well, not guilty is not the same as innocent. And not guilty is really the equivalent of not proven, uh, not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. You described um, murder on a Sunday morning as uh, getting lucky in a way and or like lightning striking. And uh, clearly uh, you got lucky again with the staircase and getting a story that could... Uh, extend over a decade what are you doing now are you looking for another a, a third a, a third lightning strike or um well <laughs> in fact uh, to to tell you that really what happened that after the end of uh the the first eight hours of of uh, of that case in 2000, 2005 when i really uh, said I finished the eight, the first eight hours of Staircase. I'm done with documentaries. I am done. I, 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 I can't do it anymore because it's, it's too stressful. It's too, it's been really difficult. Mm. And, uh, and so I moved to drama. I, uh, I wrote uh, scripts and I shot different drama for the the, the, the theater and uh, and the feature film and uh, and drama for television but in the last two years I, I said to myself okay maybe it's time to go back and to look at maybe another story uh, but not as a director but maybe as a executive producer and we try to find a story to do a documentary series. And uh, we find a story in Boston. We start shooting two years ago. And uh, nothing what we were expecting happened. Nothing at all. For you, this is, there's been uh, part, the first eight hours of uh, The Staircase, and then you did the first update, and now the final update in which um, uh, Michael Peterson is now out of jail, which... I would think means that was the last one, unless, I mean, never say never, I guess, with a story like this. But assuming that you are done with The Staircase, mm -hmm. um, how is it to say goodbye to this? Uh, is it still something you think about? Do you stay in touch with any of the people? Yes. Uh, yes, of course. I, 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 I stay uh, uh, in contact with uh, with. David Rudolph, I, I've I've seen him three times since we um, since last 
July, uh, in fact, and uh, and I, I kept in touch with uh, Michael Peterson. He's still living in Durham, uh, in the same apartment. The last day of shooting, I knew that was the last day of shooting. And of course, there was mixed feeling there. There was a feeling of relief, a huge relief, because I, I felt I was tied to, uh, to the case. I was tied to these characters. I knew I had to do it. The, the fact that it was finished, it was a, a huge relief. But also there was kind of sadness too, because uh, I didn't know. Uh, well, I knew maybe I will never see again Michael Peterson or the people. And uh, that was a, a kind of um, really s- joyful and sad moment, of course. But again, huge relief. And that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next month with a new series or film for you to add to your watch list. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show. That way, you can help other people find it. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Pineapple Street Media and Netflix. Our music is by Hansdale Sue. I'm Ray Vada, and thanks for listening. 